0: The fact that Christianity is not some sort of sentimental, weak religion. It's not something that's based on warm feelings and wishful thinking. Instead, it stands on solid historical foundations. And the two historic moments that stand at the center of the Christian faith are the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection. Did he really die? We have faithful eyewitness accounts that record the moment when Roman executioners who, who know how to bring about death and know how to recognize death drove a spear into Jesus' heart to confirm that in fact he was no longer alive. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? We have the unanswerable evidence of an empty tomb, a sealed tomb with no body in it for which there has never been an alternative explanation offered that is convincing. And we have the evidence of transformed lives on the parts of the disciples. Overnight, literally overnight, they were transformed from a group of fearful mourners to a group of joyful and bold witnesses and worshipers. if you have never investigated the facts, the historical facts related to the death of Jesus and his resurrection, I really want to encourage you to do so. So having said that, though, let me just pause. Do you ever find yourself thinking that there is a disconnect in your life between the the momentousness of the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ordinariness or the flatness even of your life in faith. Here's this amazing, dramatic moment when the sky goes dark and the earth shakes and and the temple curtain is torn in two and Jesus offers us up his life. And here's this equally dramatic moment when the earth shakes again and a massive stone is rolled away and soldiers faint with fright, and the Son of God steps out of the tomb. And then there's Wednesday morning when I need to take a biotest, or Thursday afternoon when I need to stop and grab some sour cream from the grocery on my way home from work, or Saturday morning when I have to pull together my taxes, and it feels so this and this sometimes, so not momentous. Is that ever your experience? I was reviewing the, the, the lyrics of crowned with many crowns as I was thinking about starting off my sermon. And these lines just kind of popped into my head as I was thinking about the, the, the disconnect that sometimes I can feel, that sometimes we can feel as followers of Christ. Plod through another day of life upon this earth. How uninspiring is my life between my death and birth. Sometimes I am so bored with all I once adored. And if I'm honest with myself, sometimes with you, my Lord. Does that resonate with you at all? That sort of, isn't there supposed to be something more feeling? Well, for the past couple of months, we have been walking through Paul's letter to the Philippian church. We come today to two short verses that I believe are the antidote to a less than vibrant Christian life. So let's look at them. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. All I want, Paul writes, is to know Christ and to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, to become like him in his death in the hope that I myself will be raised from death to life. So if you've been walking through this series with us, you know that this portion, the portion that comes just before this, which we looked at last Sunday, is where Paul spells out what he sees as the single defining reality of the Christian life. It's not about trying to be good. It's not about trying to be religious. It is about a relationship with the living God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's at the heart of the faith, knowing Jesus, gaining Jesus, being found in Jesus. Last Sunday, I asked Covenant's kids to draw a picture of them with Jesus. I've been enjoying through this Lenten season, walking through and uh, and using some different guides that have exposed me to different works of classical art that are faith-based, works by Vermeer and and Da Vinci and Van Gogh, and I found that to be really meaningful. I love the artwork that we had at the Journey with Jesus, the Stations of the Cross during this week, and found that so rich as well, the Caravaggios and Cesare's and Velasquez. But I'd like to share with you this morning a work of art that I think has greater theological richness than any other work of art I've looked at in the past month and a half. This is a drawing by five-year-old Liam Tenentee. It's of him and his brother Finn walking with Jesus. Now, I don't know if you're going to be able to see this, but I just want to describe it to you a little bit so you can notice some of the really profound details that are included in this. Jesus has a crown on his head, which reminds us that he's king. His eyes are luminous like the sun, reminding us that he's divine. Jesus stands front and center, dominating the picture in the place at the center of our lives that he rightfully deserves. He has a huge heart that reminds us of his love for us and reminds us that the basis of our relationship with him is his love for for us. He's holding Liam's hand, reminding us, showing us that Jesus is present with us, always involved in our lives, taking us by the hand and walking us through whatever it is we face, guiding us through life. Notice that Jesus is also holding the hand of Liam's brother Finn. I love that detail. Which captures the idea that the more we walk with Jesus, the more we will realize that God calls us to walk with others as well. The more clearly Jesus comes into focus, the more we will see the others that God places in our lives. All three of their faces have smiles of joy. Jesus's at being with them, theirs at being with him. And notice the detail, the sun shining up on the upper left-hand corner, and on the other side, either the dark of night or threatening storm clouds. But Jesus as king towers over both of those realities. Jesus rules over both night and day, over the dark and the night. I love this. Liam has captured so beautifully this thing that stands at the very center of the christian faith a living vibrant relationship with jesus available to us simply by opening our hearts to Him. if you ever wonder if kids can have a meaningful relationship with god i think this is pretty convincing evidence that they can and that we have much to learn from them in philippians chapter 3 verse 8 paul says everything else is worthless when compared with this, the infinite value of knowing Jesus, my Lord. Well, now in verses 10 and 11, Paul turns from what it meant to him to come to know Jesus and enter into this relationship. He turns from that to what it will mean for him to come to know Jesus more deeply and to walk with him more closely each new day in front of him. All I want is to know Christ and to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings and become like him in his death in the hope that I myself will be raised from death to life. This sounds like a little bit of a hop about jumble, but when you tease it apart, you realize that there is a really intentional structure in these couple of verses. This is what you see. First of all, Paul again echoes what he has affirmed in verse 8 He says in verse 10 that a life defined by knowing Jesus, a life of knowing him, loving him, serving him, enjoying him, living for him, that has become more important to Paul than anything else. All I want is to know Jesus. I love how J.B. Phillips translates this. How changed are my ambitions? Now I long to know Christ. All I want is to know Jesus. Can you say that with Paul? What are your greatest ambitions? What matters most to you? The witness of scripture and the witness of the lives of people who follow Jesus, including many in this room, is that there is no richer life. There is no better life. There is no fuller life. There is no life that is more satisfying or adventuresome than a life that is centered on a relationship with Christ. And the reason is because that's what we were made for isn't it? All I want is to know Jesus, Paul says, and here's what that will mean for me as I live out my faith day by day. Four phrases. The first two have to do with life lived each day to experience the power of the resurrection and to share in Jesus' sufferings, and the other have to do with with life on that day, on that final consummating day, to become like him in death, in the hope that I myself will be raised from death to life. So let's dig in here more closely. What does it mean to experience the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings? One of the really revolutionary doctrines coming out of the Reformation, a rediscovery of what scriptures teach, was the idea that our status with God Our relationship with God is not something that hangs on our efforts to be good. Instead, it is the result of what Jesus has done, what he has accomplished for us, is the result of his death on the cross by which he forgives us and reconciles us to God. That's exactly what the verse right before this one says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Well, it would be tempting for us to read verses ten and eleven about sharing in Christ's suffering and sharing in His rising from the dead to see that as just being about our status in God's sight, as for instance Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter two, verse six. He raised us from dead along with Christ, and uh, from the dead along with Christ, and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus that is absolutely true and right and important and freeing and powerful, that God sees us through the perfect love and the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, his son. Sinful though we are because of our faith, we stand before God and we are welcomed into his presence as though we are just, as though we are righteous, as though we had never done wrong. But true and glorious as that is, Paul is talking here about something more than that. You sense it when you read these words to experience the power of the resurrection, to share in his sufferings. He's not just talking about the way God sees us. He's talking about the way we live for God. Sometimes in evangelical Christianity, we can separate those two things apart, but biblically, those two things can never be separated. What we believe and how we live, our standing in God's sight, and the manner in which we live out our faith. So here's a simple way of capturing what Paul is saying in these verses. Boiling this down, knowing Jesus is living the crucifixion and living the resurrection. Do you want a life in faith that is as rich and vibrant and momentous as the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, then let your life be a crucifixion and a resurrection. I don't know if you've ever heard the term C and E Christians. It refers to people whose only expression of their faith is attending church twice a year on on Christmas and on Easter. This is kind of outside of COVID realities, where that's kind of all the option we've had available to us in the past year. But sometimes. That kind of a bare minimum life of faith, I think, comes from a misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches us about what is meant to be the relationship between our faith and our life. Well, since Jesus already did everything for me, I guess there's not really anything left for me to do but just kind of wait around until I get to go be with him. But Paul calls us in this passage not to be C and E Christians but to be C and R Christians, crucifixion and resurrection Christians, men and women and young people and children like many of you are, whose lives reflect the two defining moments of Jesus's redemptive work, his dying and his rising. So let's explore more specifically what this means. What does it mean to experience the power of his resurrection? The power of the resurrection is nothing less than the life-giving power of God available to us. The same power that God put on display when he raised Jesus from the dead is available to us as God puts on display the new life that he has brought about in us as followers of Christ. One of the places that Paul tells us that we can expect to see that power at work in us is in our growing spiritual maturity. Once we enter into this relationship with Christ, then our growth in spiritual maturity is a result of our accessing this resurrection power. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, In all of my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day up until now, being confident of this, that who, he who began a good work in you, he will carry it through to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Our spiritual progress, our growing in love, growing in spiritual insight, growing in purity, growing in fruitfulness, growing in Christ-likeness Those are all evidences of the resurrection power at work in us. All of these citizenship virtues that we've been talking about as we walk through the book of Philippians, these qualities that are meant to characterize us as citizens of that other realm, citizens of heaven, qualities like peace and joy and contentment and love and unity and humility, none of those things are things that we are capable of bringing about in ourselves through our own effort. Those are all God's doing by his power if we cooperate. I love this amazing passage in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Yes, it is God who is working in you. He helps you want to do what pleases him, and he gives you the power to do it. That's resurrection power. You know, our, our houses have power coursing through them. Electrical cords run through our walls from floor to ceiling. So what do we need to do to get access to that power? Well, get plugged into it and stay plugged into it. A couple of weeks ago, I was in our family room and I went to turn on a light. I clicked the switch, no light. So I clicked it a few more times, still no light. So I kept clicking it as though that was gonna make a difference, still no light. So finally I got up, I went into the cupboard where we keep our lights, pulled out the little uh, step ladder we've got, climbed up and pulled some out, went back and traded out the light bulb, clicked the light, no light. Clicked it a few more times, still no light. So I thought, maybe I should plug it in. <laughs> yeah, I discovered it would have unplugged, plugged it in, huh, <laughs> what do you know, light. The way that we experience the resurrection power of Jesus is to get plugged in and to stay plugged in. Time in prayer, in scripture, in worship, to connect with God at the start and at the end of every day. Conversation with God all throughout each day. Connecting with other followers of Jesus on a regular basis each day and each week. Time with the saints of old. Time in the spiritual classics. Time in quiet, time in creation, time in silence, time in the presence of God. That's how we live the resurrection. Getting plugged in each day and staying plugged in throughout each day. That is the basis of our transformation. Okay, so what about this business of living the crucifixion? What does this mean for us to share in Christ's suffering? Do we... Uh, Do I have to? I mean, couldn't this be one of those things where it's like, okay, take a choice. Which would you prefer? Sharing in resurrection power or sharing in Christ's suffering? You get to pick. Unfortunately, we don't get to choose which version of the Christian life will be ours. The way that this sentence is constructed, it's really clear that Paul is meaning to communicate that knowing Jesus entails both of these realities. So what does this mean, sharing in Christ's sufferings? I think it's helpful for us to pause and think about what his sufferings were. Certainly his death on the cross and the painful treatment that he received leading up to that. But the sufferings of Jesus that Paul has in mind included that, but were also much wider than that. His sufferings had to do with every part of his experience of human life in a fallen world. From the beginning of the Incarnation. I think that's what Paul is meaning to suggest in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Think about the sufferings that were connected to each part of Jesus' descent from heaven to earth, from earth to the cross, and from the cross to the grave. Christ Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, or grasped, or insisted upon, or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself still further by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I think all of that is meant to be understood as the experience of Christ's suffering. So if experiencing the power of the resurrection means plugging in and staying plugged in, what does it mean to share in Christ's sufferings? The word sharing in means that we participate in it, that it's our experience together with Jesus in some way. Think about the D-Day invasion on the beaches of Normandy. Who suffered those losses and who won that victory? Well, in in some ways, you could say the losses were suffered by, the victory was won by those 4,400 soldiers who gave their lives on D-Day. But over 150,000 other soldiers landed with them and stood by their sides. And thousands more flew planes and gliders and sailed ships and landing crafts and and drove trucks and trains and shuttled supplies and, and were at the helm of the communication lines. And millions more stood behind them in a massive supply line to make this invasion possible. So who suffered and died? All of them. Whose was that victory? All of theirs. Paul wants us to understand our suffering in similar terms. It is a participation in the suffering and dying life of Jesus. A sharing in his redemptive work as he comes from that other realm and establishes its presence here on earth, the kingdom of heaven. And then as he invites us to take part in establishing that kingdom here, as we become citizens in that other realm and establish colonies of that kingdom here and become more and more like the king as citizens of that other realm The more distinctive that we become as citizens of heaven, transformed by the power of God into the likeness of God's Son, the more we will share in his suffering. We will share in his suffering when, as Paul challenges us in 127 in Philippians, to stand firm in the faith. We share in Christ's sufferings when we seek to live a life that abounds more and more in love, as Paul invites us and prays for us in 119. We share in Christ's sufferings when, following his example, we choose in humility to consider others more important than ourselves and to put their needs ahead of ours, as Paul describes in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We share in Christ's sufferings when we hang in there with each other and we work through our hurts and our differences, like Paul encouraged Syntyche and Euodia in, in chapter 4, verse 3. We share in Christ's sufferings when we are persecuted for defending and confirming the gospel, as Paul was in, one's, in chapter 1, verse 7. We share in Christ's sufferings when we face opposition and experience hardship, as Paul says the Philippians did in chapter 1, verses 27 to 29. We share in Christ's sufferings when we come face to face with the enemies of the cross, as Paul tells us we will in chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 if experiencing the power of Jesus requires that we draw near and and get plugged in and stay plugged in, then sharing the sufferings of Jesus requires that we stand firm and keep leaning into the life that God has for us, even when that life is hard. Notice this. In the mysterious ways of God, more and more, these two will become the same reality. Sharing in the power and sharing in the suffering. The places where we most share in the sufferings of Christ will become the very places where we most draw upon and experience the power of the resurrection as God equips us to do what we cannot do in ourselves. And the more we experience his power at work in us and his transformation, the closer we will become to him the more we will become like him, and as a result, the more we will share in his suffering as one alien to this world. Paul urges us to keep drawing near, keep leaning in, keep standing firm, keep striving together to make every day one of experiencing the power of the resurrection and sharing in his sufferings right up until that last day. When we die and go to be with the Lord, for he comes to gather us up and bring us home. When we will become like him in his death in the hope that we ourselves will be raised from death to life. Knowing Christ, living the crucifixion, living the resurrection, experiencing the power of the resurrection, sharing in the sufferings of Christ as we eagerly await our Savior. What does that look like in really practical terms? Trudy Horner has been part of our congregation for years. Many of you know her well. Listen as she describes her experience of living the crucifixion and living the resurrection. Her experience... Of knowing Jesus.
1: Try I would say. Go for it. You know. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. Amen. Good morning. I'm so glad to see you. Rather, I'm glad to be seen. My name is Trudy Horner. I'm a wife, mother, grandmother, and a Purdue retiree. Over the last 40 years, my husband, Carl, and I have struggled with some family relationships and occasional personal financial issues, but nothing major. We were always blessed and strengthened in our faith by trusting God. But the real challenge came in my life on how to face suffering head-on in 2014. I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma cancer and had bone marrow transplant not long after that. Amid countless appointments, tests, and an array of daily medicines and blood work, my faith came into play like never before. I was forced to ask myself, how does Christ's resurrection really provide hope in the midst of terminal cancer and now a lifetime of chronic pain? We all have a terminal illness of some sort, call yours what you will. But God has used my cancer diagnosis to show me how to trust in the midst of endless side effects and excruciating pain. He is constantly teaching me to trust Him in all things. I'm here to say that if you're walking with the Lord before you have a crisis or a diagnosis like mine, then you shouldn't need to change your walk at all if and when a crisis should happen. You need to be ready. You need to keep reading God's Word, praising Him, singing songs to Him, loving others, challenging others, and above all, keep growing in your own faith. God is continuing to teach me not to be discouraged and to remember that the battle is not mine, it is God's. That brings me peace and hope on a moment-by-moment basis. I've tried not to allow that what I have experienced and the thoughts that I've had not be bigger than what Jesus has already done for me on the cross. I believe that my worry and my fears are the real cancers. They can destroy my thankful spirit. Yet, as only God would have it, it's the very giving of thanks and praise to him that cures my worries and my fears. The more I express my joy and thankfulness to him, that's when he shows me my hope. Just because I carry it well doesn't mean that my burden isn't heavy. This church, our small group, my women's Bible study, many people I don't even know have strengthened me and given me courage. It is Christ through you that has sustained me and I am rich because of you, the body of Christ. Many of you have made it easy to trust the Lord when I have faced miserable details of my day. It seems not a week has gone by that I haven't been blessed by someone. Your prayers, your support, words of encouragement, even such details as a meal, cleaning my house, massaging my neuropathetic feet, and kneeling and praying at my feet. I know that God has a purpose for my my pain and a reason for my struggles, but he has a sweet gift for my faithfulness. Faith in God includes faith in His timing and His plan for my life, so I am rejoicing on this Easter Sunday in His resurrection powers because He is faithful and loving and forgiving me eternally.